so what's the spoiler alert about? Well, if you ever uh, missed a big game and you don't want to know the result because you recorded it, <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, did you watch the match? And do you know what? Like, no, 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 don't tell me the score. Don't tell me the score. Last, uh, last weekend, Malcolm and myself were watching the, the highlights of the last round of the Premiership Rugby. Uh, as lads do on a Saturday afternoon when they have nothing else to do. <laughs> and um, as the first game came up, uh, I actually watched the game the previous day. And uh, I told Malcolm, oh, I watched this game. And he's like, no, 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 don't, don't tell me the score. <laughs> you know, it sort of spoils it when, when you know how the story ends. And so, somehow the match is not so, uh, so exciting. But... Uh, so in case you're reading Acts 13, this is a spoiler alert. You can close your ears uh, because the score is coming. Um, we're going to do something different and look at how does Acts 13 end? How does this story end? What's the score right at the end? And this is the score in Acts 13 verse 52. It says here, uh, which one of these is a pointer? Yeah. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That's the final score of the game. That's the end of the story. It's like, wow, that's a, that sounds like a really nice story. What a great way to end. Now, let's have a bit of confession time. Who of you, maybe, maybe you think this is really strange, but who of you did ever, uh, ever cheat by reading a book at the end to see how it ends, or watching a film, and then you decide, shall I read it or what? Oh, well, there are a few people, wow. Well, I know someone as well who's, uh, who made a habit of it. And this, this person, no name shall be mentioned, but uh, she would always read the end of the book first or go and watch the end of the movie. And then she's like, no, I don't like it. And then she's, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> or I'm not going to read it. And then she likes the end of the story. Then she's like, oh, yeah, this is a nice end. I'm going to read the book. Um, so today we're going to do something different. We're going to read backwards. We're going to retrace the story from the back. We know how it ends. That sounds like a great ending. And um, so we call this, uh, my sermon today, Journey to Joy, because it ends being filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What a great ending. You would think, what good thing happened that the disciples ended up in this great happy place? Well, let's read backwards the two verses before that. Verse, that's 52. We'll read verse 50 and verse 51. There we go. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. So I can hang on, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't, is that the reason why the disciples were so full of joy? Because Paul and Barnabas left? Because they were expelled? And for the Harry Potter fans, it's a bit like Hermione telling uh, Ron, and, uh, Ron and Harry, I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed, or even worse, expelled. <laughs> if you know Hermione's character, that says it all. But that was, uh, that was Hermione's reaction. Uh, about, you know, expulsion. It's like, that's terrible. It's a terrible thing. Why, I mean, why, why were they overjoyed if Paul and Barnabas were expelled from the city? 
Maybe it was like, uh, you know, you have a dinner party and you all finished up and, and you start washing up and the, the last guests are still hanging around and they're not leaving and then you sort of pack the dishwasher and uh, are you getting the message? And they're still hanging around and having another coffee and then eventually the dishwasher finishes and you unpack it and they're still there. And then you say, oh, it's really, I, I think I need to go, I've got an early start tomorrow, and how about you? It's like, oh, no, we, we're sleeping late tomorrow. Don't worry about us. And like, no, you're not going to hang around. And when they finally leave, you, you rejoice because, oh, they're gone. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's familiar. I don't think that's why the disciples were full of joy. Because what did they end up with? Their leader... I mean, they just converted to Christianity. Their leaders were kicked out of the city. The leaders were persecuted, so they were being persecuted. They were in trouble with the Jews and the Gentiles. It's like, what, we just kicked them out, and now you're teaching the same teaching that they were teaching? What's going on here? They had no reason to be full of joy if we just read that bit there. Yet they were. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's retrace the story right back to the beginning. Acts 13, verse, uh, uh, in verse 13. We finished off at the bottom there, Cyprus. Uh, that's Paphos at the bottom there. That's where Malcolm finished last time. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas, John Mark actually leaves them there and he goes back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas take a boat to a town called Perga, where nothing significant happens, or not significant enough to be recorded in the book of Acts anyway. And then from there they go inland to Antioch. Now this is called Pisidian Antioch because it's in the region of Pisidia, not that Antioch to the right here, which is in Syria. So that's the big city Antioch. This is a smaller town, Antioch. In, uh, it's called Pisidian Antioch. So that's where these events take place in Pisidian Antioch. And uh, Paul and his companions go to Antioch, and that's where we pick up the story in verse 13. So it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And I'm not going to, it's a fairly lengthy passage, so I'm just going to summarize it. But Paul says, Listen to me. It's like, this is really important. Pay attention. And he starts off by reminding them of their spiritual journey thus far. He says, remember where you came from. God created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam and Eve, and then he chose Abraham, and then they went to Egypt, and, and all this time God protected his people. And all that time there were promises and prophecies, and God protected them as his chosen people. When they were going through tough times, when uh, the Pharaoh was chasing them through the Red Sea, and when they were hungry and thirsty in the desert, God always was there for them. And then he took them into the promised land. And he tells this whole story. He says, remember where you came from. But then he reminds them. He's like, you know what? 
Your joy can never be complete because you're all waiting for the Messiah. All these unfulfilled prophecies. And he reminds them about quoting some of these prophecies, and then he proclaims the gospel to them. And he said, you know what? You don't have to wait anymore. I'm here to proclaim Jesus to you. This, uh, this good news that, uh, that the shepherds in the field announced, were announced to by the angels, that was called the good news of great joy for all the people. He announces them good news that brings great joy because the, the waiting was finally over. And he shifted their attention from looking backwards and looking to where they are now to looking to the future. He says, you know what? Your life has changed now. And in verse uh, 32, Paul says, We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. And he quotes all the prophecies about the resurrection from Psalms and Isaiah. And this transition from looking backwards and where they are to the future is really what brought them great joy. Because they realized, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. Now we can look forward to salvation. In verse 38, he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. That is a, was a great moment of joy, and that's what, where the joy came from. And we read that many accepted this message with gladness, and if we think about our own lives, if you're a baptized Christian, you can probably also remember that day when you came up out of the water and you were filled with joy because just like them, you realized, I have found my salvation. My sins have been forgiven. And it's like God just poured out his joy on you. And it's like, wow, this is just the greatest day ever. And you look forward, you look ahead, you say, I'm so glad to to leave that old life behind, that life of, of being pursued by Satan, like Pharaoh pursuing the, the, the Israelites. And that brings joy to your life. And I remember that. I remember that in my Christian life. Often I look back with joy to that time when I was baptized. But then sometimes life happens and joy gets interrupted. And the same thing happens here. In verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, meaning the crowds that were like, wow, we love this message, the crowds who became disciples, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. But the, in verse 50, the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. So this brings us to the, back to the end of the story. They get expelled and the disciples are filled with joy. Not because they're expelled, but they were filled with joy because their lives were changed. Because God poured out salvation in their hearts. And that's where their joy came from. And this time of persecution had every possibility of stealing their joy. And that can happen to us as well. We have these moments of joy in life where we think life is awesome. Or maybe the day of your baptism. 
Or maybe after that, you had some great days or some great periods of or weeks or months or even great years where life is just great. The story of your life is really going according to script. You know, a bit like that uh, Indian guy in the, in the video. You know, it's like the great American dream. We all have this, this is my perfect ideal life. And then it gets interrupted in some way. And somehow sadness strikes. And this contradictory joy disappears. Suddenly, the story of your life doesn't quite go according to the script anymore that you wrote. Things go wrong. Challenges come. Tough times come. Uh, it may be a bereavement. Maybe it's financial challenges. Maybe it's health challenges. Maybe things in your career doesn't work out the way you hoped or wanted. Maybe things in your family. or Maybe it's relationships. And Satan comes and he steals that joy away. And I was thinking, looking back and thinking like, wow, I recognize that. That's happened to me as well. A few times in my life where Satan actually managed to steal my joy away by interrupting my joy, by bringing a trial into my life, or maybe God even allowing a trial in my life. And I can share things about health challenges I had, or financial challenges, or career challenges. Um, but the one thing I think that I wanted to share as an example is uh, when we moved to London three and a half, almost four years ago now, uh, we were in Amsterdam at the time, and life was great. Uh, we had some challenges, but our family life was great. We had our daughter was baptized in Amsterdam as a teenager. And then my middle son was baptized in Amsterdam as a teenager. And the youngest one was busy studying the Bible when we moved to London. And we were like, this is just amazing. There we were in a small church, and we're moving to London where uh, our daughter can be in a strong campus student ministry, and uh, our son can be in a, in a strong uh, teen ministry, and the youngest son can carry on studying the Bible in, the, in, in a strong teen ministry with teen leaders. And this is a great opportunity. And we were so excited about it. And somehow the wheels just came off. Uh, and it was like my life fell apart. It's like, in, hang on, this is not following the script. What happened to the story? I, I wanted to hold up the script and say, God, you're going off script. <laughs> you, know, you, you missed the story. This is how it's supposed, that's not how it's supposed to go. That's not how it's supposed to be. And maybe you've experienced that in life, that you feel like, hang on, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it goes in the movies, or how I imagined it to be. And I allowed my joy to be completely stolen. I, I, I really had a, had a deep sadness, and often prayed, and, and I asked, you know, God, why don't I feel joyful? Because I should be joyful. I've got every reason to be joyful. I have my salvation, my sins are forgiven, I, I have a relationship with you, yet I'm, I'm so sad. And you pray and you pray and you get no answer. And you share your struggles with people, and you're open and, and vulnerable, and being good-hearted disciples, they are quick to encourage. And, you know, send you those great scriptures, those go-to scriptures. 
you probably have at least one of those, you know, like, like this one, Romans 8 verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Have you ever been in a tough time and someone sent you that scripture? Or maybe you sent it to someone? It's like, oh yeah, it always works, you know, that's the one to go to. And, and you get these scriptures and you're like, in, oh, you know, I appreciate your, your attempts to encourage me. Uh, that's really helpful without even finishing the sentence. You know, normally people just send you that first half of the scripture. It's only really half of the sentence. And it's already like, wow, that's, that's really helpful, yes. Um, but still, the pain is deep and the joy is so elusive. And it feels like, I know that's true, but it doesn't really bring an answer. And it feels like I'm being told that I must deny my sadness and my pain by embracing this encouragement. And if I accept this and I say, oh, this is so awesome, this is my scripture, then I deny my sadness. And you feel like shouting almost, like, don't you dare steal my right to be sad by sending me happy scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I sometimes felt. Yeah. It's like in, oh, these, these disciples, they're so sincere and so loving and caring, but they don't understand, they don't get it. Um, and it's funny, it's like a, like a young child learning new things. Those of you who have little kids will recognize this. They don't simply embrace the truth. Uh, they want to know why and how. Yeah, but why? But why? But why? But why? And, like, and they drive you crazy. <laughs> it's like, because I say so. <laughs> and I think God sometimes wants to tell that to us as well. It's like, and, you know what? Just because I say so. <laughs> but we want context. We want to know why is that supposed to be encouraging? Uh, and luckily, the sentence doesn't end there. And this really, I had a breakthrough in the sadness last year when we went to the International Leadership Conference in Panama. And we were looking through the program. There was the leadership conference uh, up to the Friday. And then that weekend was the, the, the Central American Churches Conference. Uh, mostly it was in Spanish, but there were a few classes in English. And we went through the program, uh, Lisa and myself, and because we stayed on, and we said, well, let's stay for that. Maybe there's something interesting and something that's in English that we can... Uh... And there was one class in the program which was called Return to Joy. And Lisa and myself looked at that and said, I need that class. Mm. And I went there, and, and it really, the penny dropped. And it gave me context. It gave me context to the question, but God, don't just tell me that you work for my good. Tell me how. You can't just stop there. And if we carry on in Romans 8 verse 28, it says, God works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's the why. Called, purpose, foreknew, predestined, glorified justified, 
conformed to the image of his son. That is why it's an encouraging scripture. That's why God says, you know what? Don't worry. I am working. I am working for your good. And he's working because he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, if you have brothers or sisters, uh, when people see or meet my family, they often tell me, oh, you look just like your brother or sister. Uh, the light is a little bit, uh, little bit bright, but I'm in a family with, f I've got four brothers. So that's me there. That's my oldest brother. And that's the one younger to me and the second youngest and the youngest there. That's my dad. And when people see us, they often say, wow, you look just like your brother. In fact, it was very funny. I was in Thames Valley last Sunday. Was it last two Sundays ago? Um, and I met a guy from, jo from the Johannesburg church there. And I was like, oh, I remember you, Johan Furi. Uh, I remember you from way back in the 90s in Johannesburg. And we had a long chat and all this. And, but we didn't really know each other, but we saw each other in Johannesburg. So we recognized each other's faces. And, and as we were talking, he kept on calling me Anton. I said, no, I'm not Anton, I'm Stefan. He said, oh, are you not Anton? I said, why do you keep on calling me Anton? He said, no, I, I must be confused. You look like someone I worked with called Anton. <laughs> I said, is his surname Volmerans? He says, yes. I said, that's probably why, why I look like him, because he must be my brother. Did he, is he a geologist? He said, yes, he's, he's, ge he's a geologist. Uh, it's like, oh, well, that's my brother then. He said, at the beers. Yes, we worked together at the beers. It ended up, he turns out he was working with my brother. And he recognized me, me and sort of thought I was Anton, but then realized, no, I'm not Anton. <laughs> because we look so similar. And that is the purpose of God in our lives. When we think it's going off script, when we think things are going wrong, when we think like, why is this happening? God says, I want you to be conformed to the image of my son. So that when God sits here, God looks at everybody sitting here, all the disciples, and he says, wow, Danny, you look just like my son. And looks at Steve, he says, Steve, you look just like my son. Joe, you probably look the most like my son. He had a beard like you, and also didn't cut his hair, and also walked around barefoot, and... And the rest of you, keep going, you know. I don't know about that beard, Danny. It's like in, ooh. Uh, <laughs> no, no excuses. <laughs> that's what God wants for us. And that's why he called you. And why he predestined you. And why he justified you. And he's glorifying you because he wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. He says, I want you to look just like my son. And when things, we think things go wrong, it is actually God showing us in which ways we are not like his son yet and helping us to be transformed, helping us to, to start looking more and more and more like his son. So that when he looks at us, he's like, wow, I know you, you look like my son. Once we understand that context and that purpose, it's easier to accept and understand and embrace 
these encouraging scriptures. And not be so sad like this piece of bread that says, oh, I've become so moldy, I'm penicillin, and nobody wants penicillin anymore. Poor me. But to embrace the encouragement and see that I don't care what's happening in my life, God is working. And therefore, I can choose joy. While we're waiting for these challenges to be worked out, for, for the disappointments to, go, disappointments to go away, for relationships to be resolved when someone sinned against you or you sinned against someone, when you're struggling through the discouragement, when you think the grief is gone and then grief is a strange thing, it surprises you at the oddest moments, you catch it, you think like, okay, I'm fine. And then something happens or, some, or you hear something or see something and you just go, oh, like someone popped your balloon. And it's like, you can, while we're waiting, while we're going through that process and we think this is the end of the story and we get sad, we can choose joy. We get stuck when we look back or we look at where we are now and we don't look forward. Even when things don't work out, joy is not just an emotion. Joy is a decision we can make. It's a choice. And the funny thing is you can be joyful and sad at the same time. And in that class I went to, that was where the penny dropped and I realized it's okay. I don't need to let go of my sadness as if it doesn't exist to be able to be joyful. I don't need to deny my pain to be able to be joyful. It's possible to be full of joy and have the sadness and the pain at the same time. How is that possible? It is possible by choosing joy. In James 2, he writes, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, just like his son Jesus, conformed to his image, mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we face trials, he says, consider it pure joy. How do you consider something? You think about it. You contemplate it. And he doesn't say, oh, it is joy. He says, no, you consider it joy. You make the decision to say, I'm facing this trial, but I'm going to consider it as joy. And it's a choice we make. And when we make that choice, it, it's transformative because you have a deep faith and belief and trust that God is busy transforming you to be like his son and that it will all work out and that whatever you think the script should be may not be the script, but you know there is a script. And I know for certain that in my life, God has a script for my life. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. My future is pretty uncertain at the moment. It is quite fluid and flexible. Yet I'm more at peace, I think, than I've been maybe forever in my life, at least for a very long time. Maybe you think, oh, my life's pretty stable. I know what tomorrow looks like. 
We don't. None of us do. Wait till tomorrow comes, yes. Wait till tomorrow comes. <laughs> but we can find joy in our trials if we consider it joy. It is possible to find joy even in the times of sorrow, not after or when it's over or with that longing, oh God, when is this going to be over so I can be joyful again? It's possible to find joy in the sorrow and in the sadness. How do we know that? What did Jesus say? On his way to the cross, he told the disciples, he said, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And in Matthew, in praying in the garden in Gethsemane, he said, he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Yet in Hebrews, we read that Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus showed that, that it is us that it is possible to find joy even in the times of sorrow. Because joy is a decision to have a state of being. It's not just an emotion. Emotions come and go. It's very hard to control your emotions. But if you make a decision to embrace joy, then it's possible without denying your pain. And you can be joyful and sad at the same time. You don't have to deny your sadness. You don't have to deny your pain. And this joy, as we see from Jesus, is found by looking forward. But you know, I don't care about what's happening to me right now. But my joy is in the Lord. My joy is in what's coming ahead. And I know it's just going to be better and better and better. Not necessarily better health. We're all guaranteed our health will deteriorate, unless you die before, before that. But <laughs> as long as we get older, our health go, you know, it will deteriorate. It's unstoppable. But spiritually, things will get better. And if we can look forward with that mindset and that heart, we can embrace joy and find joy. And say, you know what, it's okay. I can deal with the sadness because I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Anne Voskamp is a, a Christian writer, and I love this quote from her. She said, God does great things through the greatly wounded. God sees the broken as the best, and he sees the best in the broken. God is close to the brokenhearted. He calls the wounded to change the world. You know, it is not without reason that at the end of Acts, those disciples were full of joy. Their situation right there and then, oh, it was a mess. It was challenging. They're like, and what's going to happen? Our leaders are gone, kicked out. We Christians, we can't go to synagogue anymore. The Romans don't like us. We're being persecuted. Yet they were filled with joy because they were also filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a reason why. These two things are connected. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. First of all, joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in Romans, we see, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes we make the mistake by thinking, I should find the joy within myself. And I just need to dig deeper and dig deeper, and it will come. 
like, no, we should look up and it will come. And when the Spirit is poured out in our hearts, the joy comes. The joy comes with the Spirit. It's part of the package. It comes from God. It's not an emotional state that I need to change and, and try and transform myself and, and find that joy. Where is it hiding? No, it's, it's there. It's from God. And that is why these disciples were filled with joy because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why these things are mentioned together. These disciples in Antioch, they had many reasons to be filled with sadness. Um, but they looked forward. They looked forward to the joy of their salvation. So, wherever you are in life, you know, I don't know, some, I know some life situations. Maybe life is great right now. One thing I can assure you, you know, maybe you faced trials in the past and life is great now. Maybe you're facing trials right now. Maybe you haven't faced trials and you're not facing trials. I don't want to discourage you, but Jesus promised us we, we will face trials. So it will come at some point in your life. Whether it's in the past, now, or in the future, um, God says, I, Jesus says, I have come so that your joy may be complete. And when you feel like Satan is stealing your joy, don't be like me that allowed him to do that for too long. Choose joy. Consider it, whatever trials you face, and say, I am going to be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.